Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems adopt technologies. I am your host, Tiasha Zaitz, and today you will be listening about how easygoing perseverance can look like if you create opportunities with the mindset that you have nothing to lose. You will also hear how nurses are building better healthcare. In her early days as a nurse, Carmi Soder, today's speaker, helped establish community clinics for pediatric care to enable young mothers access to care close to their homes, which saved them long commute to hospitals. Carmi is a skilled communicator with over 25 years of healthcare experiences in clinical, administrative and tech. She gained those by serving as Chief Administrative Officer at Sutter Health. She was leading pediatric department for Kaiser Permanente, worked at Google and more. Today, she's based in Israel and works as a consultant for program development and strategy. She analyzes designs and executes improved operations and workflows. Before we begin, a quick word about today's sponsor. If you're an early stage startup with a working prototype in healthcare niche, but looking for product market fit, an opportunity for you is right around the corner. Health Venture Lab is an accelerator supported by GE Healthcare that is opening up new acceleration program called Reactor 2020. Go to hvlab.eu to apply for the next four-month program, which starts in September. The application deadline is July 24th. Joining the Reactor is a unique opportunity to gain expert guidance on go-to-market strategy, customer analysis, customer journey, know-how, robust industry IP compliance and business building, and industry networks. The best part is that this program will not cost you any equity. So make sure to go to hvlab.eu to find out more. You have until July 24th to apply. Now back to the awesomeness of nurses and the discussion with Carmi Soder. This is actually a third discussion in the short series about nurses going into entrepreneurship. In the previous episodes, you could listen about holistic approach to healthcare and Rhythmia Breath, startup founded by Sheresa de Ruano. In the episode before that, Shauna Butler, one of the pioneers of nurse entrepreneurship, talked about the very human aspects of the current pandemic and the toll it's taking on healthcare staff. We have a generation that is coming into the workforce who has this very strong sense of purpose. We're seeing the difference in the appreciation that healthcare workers are experiencing. On the side that's less optimistic um, and where I have concerns... We are asking people to do things that we've never done before. They're doing it at a pace, at a volume, at a criticality that is lethal to their mental health and well-being. When we say a novel coronavirus, I think we're not appreciating the word novel. We don't know how this virus is going to act. We don't know what the treatment should be like. And when I talk with them, and the first thing that they talk about is there's just so much to learn. We don't know what this virus is. We see it and it is, it's vicious. It, it takes people down rapidly. It's, it's a very, very difficult, unpleasant, uncomfortable illness and death. Do check those episodes as well wherever you get your podcast or by going to our website www.facesofdigitalhealth.com And if you haven't yet, do subscribe to the podcast to be notified about new episodes automatically. Next week, Mary Lou Ackerman from Canada will be on air talking about community care, which is among the most positively affected in this crisis because of the higher willingness of healthcare systems to pay for telemedicine. We already know through, you know, multiple projects that adoption won't happen if you're making it the, the work harder. If you make the work easier, people are lined up to get them. Like, for example, when we introduced the pager, you know, many, 25 years ago, you know, you couldn't get them out fast enough. But now, even if you look at like the EHRs, the electronic health records that we need staff to be using and filling in they're cumbersome they it's much faster for them to write it down on paper now we all know that the there's lots of value to collecting the data electronically um but not necessarily value to the 
to that nurse. She's, she already knows the patient. She has the relationship. She has the information she needs to provide the best care. As an organization, we'd like to have the organization, the data electronically so that we could look at greater, bigger data sets, make better decisions, look at, um, you know, quality at a, an education at a higher level. But for that individual user, there's not a lot of value. So, you know, until we can get to something that's easier than writing it down on paper, it's good. Adoption is going to be very hard. Voice will, is it going to be a game changer for this voice technology um, where you could just be speaking into things and um, automating. And now to Carmi Soder. So Carmi, you started your career as a critical care staff nurse. Can you tell me a little bit more about your first days as a nurse? Well, getting the job as a new graduate nurse in a critical care unit was an interesting journey. It's uh, something that is very hard to do. Usually, there's an expectation where new graduates have to have so many years of experience in a general medical surgical area. Um, I knew that I wanted to work in pediatrics, and I knew that I wanted to work in a critical care unit. And I'm not exactly sure how I talked myself into a job interview. I think I basically uh, just demanded that I have one. I remember showing up in my fancy suit, ready for my job interview. And she told me, no, we don't hire new grads. And I said, well, you know, let's just try it. I was trying to think outside of the box and be creative. And I said, well, you know, if after three months it doesn't work out, you can let me go. No questions asked. And she says, well, that's the probationary period anyway. And uh, so that's, you know, I'd be able to let you go. And I said, well, I'll give you all my salary back. Her name was Mary McCready. She passed away a couple years ago. And she started laughing hysterically and said, I just want to work with you to see if you really are as crazy as you seem. <laughs> so that was how I got a job uh, in a pediatric critical care unit in New York, uh, right out of school from Georgetown. So it was actually pediatrics from the beginning. Yes. I knew that pediatrics was my calling. When I was about 10 years old, uh, my mom worked in a planetarium doing volunteer work with the Junior League, a women's organization. And um, I would babysit some of the kids that came. And I knew that just working with kids was what I wanted to do in life from when I was a very, very young 10 years old. But uh, working in a critical care pediatric unit, I imagine, can be quite difficult, heartbreaking, maybe. Did you expect that? It's interesting because I'm asked that question a lot when people say, you know, where did you start your career and what did you do? And people's reaction is usually, oh, my goodness, I could never, never do that. And I said, you know, there's so much sadness and tragedy in the world. It's going to happen. Um, and it's so nice to be able to contribute to the solution and helping with that. I can remember many of my patients' names and faces, many families who unfortunately lost their children um, from very tragic accidents, cancer, a variety of different ailments and illnesses, and a lot of kids that recovered. And I just felt really honored to be part of their you know, journey, something that's going to happen to kids, unfortunately, in this world. And it was really my calling to be able to help take care of both the children and the families, because you're not just taking care of the child, you're really uh, supporting and helping the families as well. And there's no bigger honor than when a family you kind of a lot of times you can anticipate no with a chronically ill child when their child is towards the nearing of life. And so we would always give the parents the choice of which nurse they wanted to have take care of them. And it really was touching and an honor when uh, I was the nurse that they chose. And I'm still in touch with a lot of my colleagues that I worked with from that first job. And I remember, you know, when other families chose other colleagues, it was obviously never a competition, but just a very supportive environment, which helped a lot with the sadness and tragedies and just despair that happened. What then made you decide that you want to change your career a little bit? So you were promoted, your career path changed quite significantly from being at the bad side. Yeah, it really did. A wonderful friend of mine who I was working with, I asked her what she was doing the next day uh, after work because we would work 12-hour shifts in the ICU and I was working nights. 
So we would work 12 hour shifts and we would try and stay awake a little bit the next day. So we often got together with each other. And she said, actually, I can't do anything because I'm going to graduate school. So I asked if I could go with her. And she says, no, this has been, you know, like years in the planning. And I've taken my GREs and done all this work and got admitted. And Maureen laughed at me. And I said, well, let me just go with you. I'll see if I can audit the classes, sit in on them and take my GREs while I'm there and seeing if I can get admitted. And uh, she's like, that's not how it's done. You can't do that. And I was like, oh, there's no harm in trying. Worst case scenario, I go and I sit on a class uh, once and I listen to it. Uh, and if I can't do it, and they don't let me do it. They don't. So it was kind of uh, breaking the rules from the beginning. And that's when I got my master's in nursing. And uh, I was living and working in New York. And we were commuting down to New York, uh, Maureen and another girlfriend, Laura and myself, a couple days a week for graduate school. And got my nurse practitioner. And that's kind of always been my approach to things is just let's, you know, let's see how we can do this just a little bit differently. So when I got my nurse practitioner degree, I then graduated and moved back to Dallas and worked at a large hospital that's pretty well known because it was where John F. Kennedy was taken, Parkland Hospital. And they do between like fifteen to 18,000 births a year. It's a remarkable place that uh, sees so much labor and delivery. And I was one of the nurse practitioners uh, working in their newborn nursery run by a wonderful physician. And he had about 60 nurse practitioners that worked taking care of all of the babies. And we saw so many just from the sheer volume of newborns that you saw. We saw so many anomalies and just textbook kind of cases of very unusual things that children were unfortunately born with. Um, and one of the things that we noticed was we were sending women who, for the most part, did not have prenatal care just due to lack of access. Uh, English was not their first language. Um, and we were sending them home with a baby and a piece of paper that was in English and just told them to go see a doctor. And they didn't know right. where to go or what to do. So we opened up a clinic that was based in the community that was to serve pregnant women and children so they could get the prenatal care and then also have a place to take their newborns for their newborn checkup and ongoing pediatric visits, well, child visits and when they were ill. Um, so they had a clinic that was in their neighborhood because I remember most of our patients would have to take two or three buses, public transportation in Dallas, Texas, uh, down to Parkland Hospital. Um, and it was not convenient for them, especially with, you know, being pregnant and also having children. Um, so we went through paper charts. This will age me. It's kind of funny. We went through paper charts and made tick marks for this different zip codes. We had a list of all the zip codes of where people lived. And every time you'd open a chart, you'd make a little tick for the zip code so we could aggregate the data and find out where people lived according to a map. Um, and so we went to their community and opened up the clinic uh, in their community so it would be easier for them to access. And it was revolutionary at the time because no one else was doing it. So was that specifically a suggestion that came from the nurses and taken to the executive level, there's quite a lot of infrastructure and organization, I imagine, that needs to be developed to enable such an idea to work in practice. Yes. Um, and it was, you know, it was really a ground up kind of problem solving. When you go into a profession, like, you know, like anybody does in medicine or others helping people, you know, social work, a variety of different professions where you're helping people and you realize, wow, we've set up a system that's really failing people. You can kind of, you know, continue to do the insane thing of repeating it over and over again, expecting different results. Or you can say, we've got to change this and we've got to do something different. So there was a group of nurse practitioners along with Greg Jackson, who was the physician that uh, led the newborn nursery, who was very supportive and very innovative. And uh, so we did. We went to um, administration and showed them what was happening with the lack of prenatal care. And then just we had a lack of providers that accepted Medicaid. So Medicaid being the program for low-income families. So we didn't have a place where we could refer these children. And, you know, they're brand new, fresh off the presses babies that are going to need pediatric care for, you know, many, many years. 
So after we went made all of our tick marks for the zip codes, we went out looking for real estate because the hospital in the basement has a McDonald's. And I joke that it's the wow. second the second hospital in the U.S. that I worked at that had a McDonald's. I uh, mm-hmm. hope that's not following me. So the suggestion was we could open it in the basement of the hospital. And I said, I don't want all these newborns smelling like French fries. Um, and I certainly don't want the old when they get older, the children wanting to go next door to McDonald's or the pregnant women going there. So we encouraged them that we could open it up in the neighborhood. And we said uh, we had a lot of goals that we were trying to achieve and make sure that our you know standards were met. And we kind of told them, hey, this is what we're going to set out to do. Um, and we set our expectations and goals pretty high and we met them and surpassed them. Um, And the clinic was wonderful. And as we ran the clinic, we uh, learned a lot of different lessons. One of the things was when they needed a prescription, we would send them out with a piece of paper that was written in English again. And there wasn't a pharmacy nearby or a place that they knew where they could go and get them. So one of the things we discovered is we were prescribing a lot of prenatal vitamins or antibiotics for ear infections or topical ointments, uh, things for diaper rash and a lot of kind of recurring prescriptions. So we took an actual broom closet that kept all the cleaning supplies and turned it into a class D pharmacy. So we could have the frequent flyer items of prescriptions and have those that we could have actually the family leave with their medication in hand, which again, now you know, people do that now. Um, But it was just kind of any barrier to entry and, you know, obstacle that we saw it was, hey, how can we creatively problem solve it? Uh, So that's kind of a long way of answering your question of my career has been searching out those problems and trying to figure out a way that I can work with a, you know, wonderful group of people to help solve them. You obviously have a special attitude to obstacles. I don't think you see them as obstacles or opportunities, simply something that's, uh, you know, on the way and you're going to just cross. So I don't know to, to which extent do you see, looking back, what obstacles um, or difficulties were nurses uh, facing when they tried to innovate. So what I'm wondering is in your long term uh, career in healthcare, you've been in healthcare for over 25 years, do you see the attitude changing towards nurses and boards for them when they wish to change the system and innovate and be included in the changes? Honestly, yes and no. I do kind of see those obstacles just as it's almost like a calling. And it's, you know, gosh, this is something that we need to do something about. And we need to, you know, figure out a different way or do this better, innovate something, change and do something different. It started when I was in undergraduate. I was at Georgetown and I was doing my clinicals in the hospital. And I remember we would, it was college, so you would stay up late and I would go to sleep in my nursing uniform. (laughs) This was my first innovation. So then when I woke up in the morning, I I don't like waking up, which anybody who's lived with me can tell you that I'm really funny to wake up in the morning. Funny is probably a little too kind, but um, that way I could just roll out of bed and already be dressed and ready to go because it was at 7 a.m. to get to the hospital. So I was already dressed in my nursing (laughs) uniform. And, uh, I met a woman who I wish I could remember her name because she just absolutely transformed my career. I thought I wanted to be a pediatrician. And thanks to this woman who had gotten her master's in nursing, she had the most amazing stories and everything that she had done because she can move around and do different things and try different roles in nursing. And thanks to her, it really helped plant the seed with me of, gosh, you can do different things and you can try and fail and that's okay and learn from your mistakes and try jobs and try careers and try things that are different uh, and that excite you and you, you know, think are interesting. So I've always kind of had that approach towards my life and career of just, you know, trying different things. And you asked a great question about nurses being involved and how that's changed. I think the role of the nurse has really changed. I mean, if you look all the way back to one of my heroes, uh, which is Florence Nightingale, um, and her work in the Crimean War, working with wounded soldiers, and she's really the one who discovered people 
you know, just being so overworked and medicines were in short supply and hygiene was neglected, uh, mass infection. And she implemented hand washing and it was just revolutionary. And like it is now. Yeah. I was getting ready to say, I think we're there again. Yeah, everybody is just, we all have to go back and remember and thank Florence Nightingale because it was just so, it made sense. And, but wow, she fought a hard battle both in the war and with helping people understand a lot. She did a work with even the ventilation systems. And it's, it is interesting. It's kind of, you know, come full circle with what we're doing now with wearing masks and being outside and keeping our distance. That was a lot of what she was suggesting back in the 1800s. I think maybe nurses are not recognized for their innovative approach to healthcare uh, because it often maybe doesn't include a new device that's FDA approved and reaches mass market. I completely agree with you. And I think it's amazing how many, so now I've moved into kind of this health technology startups and how many either devices or ideas are out there that trying to solve a problem that doesn't exist. So it then creates a problem. And I see it as a lot of innovations are what I like to say is doing to rather than doing with. So instead of involving mm -hmm. nurses in a solution and involving the end user of who actually uses the device, the technology, the idea, the service, whatever it might be, it's just forced upon people that many times could really help and create a better solution as opposed to just being forced to do something that doesn't work. There's a great, there's a great one out there that was, um, we used to have walkie talkie that were these phones And you would get a call over this loud phone that everybody could hear. So, of course, there's no privacy. You know, the patient in room 215 needs water. The patient in room 220 needs uh, pain medication. This, And it would make you frantic because it's hanging either on your hip or around your neck. They were called Nextel phones, and we tried to use them in the hospital. And, oh, my gosh, everybody threw them on the table at the nurses' stations just in protest, saying this is making our work so much harder. And now there are startups that are creating the same sort of devices all over again, and it's making nurses' very difficult work and lives even harder. So I have a question in this regard. Uh, I know, and anyone who's been in the digital health space is aware that, yes, you need to work with the end users. But in practice, I find it that it might be difficult to find workers from healthcare to to work with because, you know, clinical practice is so demanding. It's unpredictable, the environment that nurses or doctors work in. And it can be challenging to add an additional layer of burden on someone to, to help you innovate when they already have enough to do. And of course, the question on their mind would be, why would I do that? Obviously, doctors care about patients, but innovation takes time. And before you can see the benefit for, for the patient, the process to getting there might not be that easy, you know, and convincing someone to jump on an innovation bandwagon can be challenging from the company or startup perspective. That is very true. But I find, especially now with a lot of the advising and I sit on a panel reviewing to help startups and people don't ask. I think there's this idea that, oh, it will be hard. Therefore, I shouldn't try. But if you say to someone, I want to help you do your job better. I want to make sure you have the tools and equipment and the knowledge to be able to do your job and do it better. How can I help you? I think people, especially nurses, would welcome that. If you say to them, you know, sometimes that can be too much of a blank slate, but if you say, hey, you know, we want to work on communication and how can we improve communication between patients and nurses in the hospital? What kind of needs do you have? What kind of goes back to the basic open-ended questions that we learned in nursing school and medical school and, you know, kind of this, how can I help you? What do you need? As opposed to use this device and tell me, check the box if you liked it or not. I think nurses and physicians and people that work in healthcare, because there's so many layers and levels of these kind of, it really takes a team to work in healthcare. People would be willing to give their feedback and their input if they were asked. 
and if they were listened to. So I think the if people are asked and their feedback is not taken, and you know, of course, it's you can't always, as I like to say, solve world peace, uh, just with one, you know, flip of a magic wand. But if you can listen to people's ideas and show them that you're trying and show them that you're really trying to improve things, I think people would be more inclined to ask. I love networking and connecting people. I do it in my career. I do it since I've moved. Um, I've introduced friends to a wonderful massage therapist here, uh, who now I've introduced him to my rolfer. There's kind of so much information out in the world now on the internet that it's hard to find people and what you're looking for. So I know when I meet someone that's moved, I'll say to them, gosh, you know, do you need a dentist? I have a really good dentist. Have you found somebody to cut your hair? And that's the conversation as opposed to who are you and where do you, you know, where do you work and what do you do? It's just more of a little bit of, hey, how can I help you? And I think we can help people in healthcare with solving problems rather than creating additional problems from solutions that just don't work. I totally agree. And, but I think, again, that your mindset is quite specific. I think that today where people are, you know, are busy, a lot of people, at least in the beginning, their first reaction when somebody approaches them is going to be, what do you want from me? So, you know, in order to change that, you need to take time, you need to develop a relationship, which I think is getting to a certain extent more difficult today where our lives are getting busier with each second. And unfortunately, COVID forced us to stop a little bit. My, so my name becomes an adjective and people will say, oh, that's so carmy um, because it just is a different way of looking at things or doing things just a little differently, uh, which can kind of be good news and bad news, I guess. But I try to see the positive in that as well. Um, but it's kind of this silver lining. Uh, you know, COVID took us talk about something we were not prepared for as a world. I'm not not a political statement, but just as a world and as humans, we weren't prepared to wash our hands. We weren't prepared to stay home, work from home, have our kids out of school. It was incredibly difficult. But in another way, it really forced us to take this pause that I think we as a world needed. You know, the skies got cleaner, water got cleaner, people slowed down. Yes, things were difficult and healthcare workers have a tremendous amount of respect now for the work that they do. Um, there's kind of this acknowledgement. And I think that's what I've found in my career that if you're building something to have it be a digital solution or a technology solution in a hospital and you don't have a nurse on your team or an advisor, you're making a mistake. Because if I go to people and say, hey, I'm a nurse and I know you're a nurse and I know what your day is like and I know how difficult it is. Is this a good time to take two minutes and tell you about this technology that we're working on. And I want your input and your suggestions. And I just want to hear from you what works well in your day and what doesn't work well. And here's something we're trying to come up with. And would this help you? Or, you know, what would you change? And I did this actually when I started first in management when I moved to San Francisco. I worked in a wonderful hospital in their pediatric unit, and I was the nursing manager. Linda Monte hired me, and I'm still in touch with her. She's an amazing woman. And there were a lot of rules and a lot of existing regulations that, of course, it's a hospital, there needs to be regulations, but just things that the nurses were forced to do um, because it had always been that way. Uh, one example was you would walk the, the units were kind of U-shaped, horseshoe type shaped units. And so you would walk through them and you could see almost all of the doors of the pediatric patient rooms. And all of them had these big bicycle chain locks on them with a lock. And you didn't know that the room was empty. And it looked like the children were locked in their rooms like cages. So as parents would wow. approach the unit, you'd see these locks and everybody commented, oh, yes, it looks horrible, but there's nothing we can do about it. It's always been this way. We've always had to lock these rooms. And the way the door was designed, you had to put this chain on it because, you know, obviously for safety reasons, there wasn't a lock. And um, so I just kept asking the question of, 
why? Oh, we get complaints all the time, but you know, it has to be this way. But why? So I came up with this thing that was called the poof rule. And just like a magic wand, you could make it go poof. And honestly, it was met with some hesitation. Some people were really excited and wanted to poof all the rules. And that wasn't very realistic. But it was things like, you know, why are these rooms locked? And it was amazing to me because no one could answer why. Until somebody said, well, many years ago, somebody went into a room and slept in the bed. It was a clean, empty room. And somebody that worked in the hospital slept in the bed. And ever since then, they've locked all of the rooms. Well, is it, does it continue to be a problem? You know, do people still sleep in the beds? No, but we still lock all of the rooms. So I said, well, this sounds like a rule we can poof. And it was so visual mm-hmm. and it was such a, not necessarily a quick, we did it pretty quickly. And we, my, my theory of sometimes it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. We just took the mm-hmm. locks off. And we thought if somebody sleeps in the bed, we'll deal with that when that's the problem. But it wasn't a problem. And we explained to people, hey, the rooms aren't going to be locked. Whoever slept in them years ago, please don't do that again. (laughs) Nobody did. And so the rooms and the units looked so much more inviting. We stopped getting complaints. And it just changed the mood because it was something that people suggested they wanted changed and we could do it. And I think we can do the same thing with technology. We can do the same thing in digital health and we can make solutions and try things at a very small scale to learn from them and improve them, kind of, you know, build the airplane as you're flying it, uh, but be safe about it and make sure that things make sense. You know, if it caused a problem that we took the locks off the door, we would have come up with a different solution. But I think what that did was motivate people to, wow, we have a lot of these rules and these things that we do that we don't know why we do them. Uh, and we could change them and we could do it differently. And therefore, we could improve the care that we give to patients and families. So yeah, the poof rule was really fun. Based on this example, what, what would you say is the biggest need that nurses have in their environment? And to which extent do you think that all the rules enamored environment is inhibiting innovation or change? Because you know, employees are just too worried about negative consequences. That's very true. You know, I would say if you took this kind of 20,000 foot look at what the problems were, I would say the biggest issue is uh, respect. Probably not the answer you were expecting. Um, And I'll give you kind of a little bit more concrete one. But I think if you respect that hospitals and medical care whether it's inpatient or outpatient, specialty, general, whatever type of care it is, it's really a team. And there needs to be a respect for people's roles, their contributions, and what they do for each other and what they do for the patients and families. I think all too often we can take for granted, there was a wonderful CEO that I worked with, uh, Warren Browner, and he would say, you know, I'm the CEO of this very successful, wonderful hospital with lots of complexities. And but if I don't show up to work, you know, I don't go to meetings, I don't meet with people. And you may or may not know that I'm here one day. But if a housekeeper doesn't show up to work, everything falls apart. And the whole experience of the patient, you know, you you can't run a hospital if you don't have a housekeeper cleaning and taking mm-hmm. out the trash. And so I think but what we do is we don't respect all the different roles that people uh, take uh, and do. I know one of the biggest things that we've had done in healthcare recently is electronic health records. And I worked at a pediatric practice in San Francisco that is very innovative, um, does amazing care for children and families. It's got a great name. It's called Gets Well Pediatrics because the CEO and physician who started it a dozen years ago, her name is Julia Getzelman. And so she called it Gets Well Pediatrics. And they did a wonderful thing by implementing electronic health records, which, you know, we were somewhat mandated to do, very difficult to do in private practice. But the service that they selected was horrible. I mean, it was just 
really made taking care of patients difficult. And they hated this product. And it was something that you use every day, all day, and it was painful. Um, because it was just so difficult to use. So when I worked with them, I set out on a journey to find a really easy to use electronic health record. And how can we improve this? Because if we improve this uh, for the physicians and the nurse practitioners that see patients every day, we can improve the care that we're giving. And we found an electronic health record that I always equate to. It's like an iPhone. And, uh, you know, when you get one, it doesn't have an instruction book or a Samsung phone, you know, any of these, it doesn't have an instruction book, you intuitively figure out how to use because it's easy to use. It's got a great Mm -hmm. user experience, user interface, and you know how to use it. And so we found an electronic health record that was designed by a brother and a sister. Their dad was a physician. And they had the same approach of wow, we can do this better. We can create something that is really easy to use. And they were mainly in the adult space and we were in pediatrics and they were really open to making changes. For example, you could create all different types of appointment types. So when you look at the calendar that looked like a Google calendar, everybody's familiar to that layout. They replicated that layout because that's what you're used to seeing and looking at. Um, And there were different appointment types, but they were all gray. And so we told them, gosh, looking at a gray screen all day is really kind of depressing. You know, can you give us a color choice? Just like you can do in Google, you can, you know, have different colors for different calendars, different kids, different ways that you use your calendar. And uh, so they were really open to the feedback. Uh, And it's Alation Health. And they said, yeah, we can absolutely, you know, do that. So they implemented the change because we asked. And so instead of looking at a boring gray screen all day, you could quickly glance at it and say, wow, I have, you know, three yellow appointments that are quicker appointments. I have two green appointments that are longer appointments. And so it was so visual uh, and it made people happy to look at and know what to expect and see in the day. And they were really open to that feedback. So it was something that was a technology that was a, you know, I think the electronic health record is a great idea. I think we failed terribly at it, but there are solutions out there that are that are good and open to feedback and are improving and making lives better for clinicians taking care of patients. You actually later on in your career moved to a more technical side of healthcare. You worked at Google. Was it also in the healthcare space? Yes, it was, which is always fun to tell people because they uh, they make assumptions that if you uh, are in healthcare and you worked at Google, then you must have been a nurse and you worked in like an occupational employee health type setting. And I didn't. Uh, Google's Really? I, that's an in- interesting assumption. I didn't even think of that. Oh, really? That's what most people Did you take care of Google employees? Uh, Did Google have a hospital? I've been asked before. (laughs) And my joke was always not yet. Maybe maybe we could solve a lot of problems with that. But uh, not yet. But no, it was working with a team, very innovative group led by a phenomenal uh, female leader. Uh, who actually spoke at my oldest son's graduation from USC. So I got to see her last year when I went back to California. And it was the Nest. Nest was acquired by Google. And it was that team that spun out a health division. And so we were working on a lot of innovative products. And they wisely brought on a nurse as a clinician I kind of call it a clinical expert or a clinical liaison. So I worked with all the different teams to help them with a reality check for, hey, is what we're building good for clinicians? Because I can help with that, that perspective. Is what we're building good for hospital administrators, practice administrators, private practices? Is it good for families? Because I'm a mom. Is it, you know, who is it good for? And kind of how can we make sure that what we're building and what we're doing, are we talking to the right people? Are we asking the right questions? And are we solving the right problem? So yeah, that was the that was the approach, but not not seeing patients in employee health. How come you moved to to Israel, where you are currently based? Um, and how do you find the environment that you're in? Israel is very famous and known for their very ambitious, innovative approach towards everything, basically. 
I think I must have been the only person who didn't know that when I moved here because uh, it was funny. My uh, it was through my husband's company actually that we moved here. His company was acquired by an Israeli company. He's an engineer and works in computer vision. He was talking to me about his company being looked at by this Israeli company, and I said, "Oh my gosh, we should we should go to Israel." And he said, uh, "Show me Israel on a map," which I could give him the general area, but I wasn't exactly sure where it was. And I really didn't know how much of a startup nation it was here. We came here for six months. That was almost two years ago. And I absolutely love Tel Aviv. I love the food. I love the people. I love the lifestyle. I love that I don't have to have a car here. I take uh, a little scooter, uh, which is in Hebrew, it's called a corkinet. So I have my little corkinet and my helmet, uh, and that's my means of transportation. But one of the things that really pleasantly surprised me about Israel, in addition to everything I mentioned, is how much uh, not only is there health innovation here, but there's organized groups that are willing to share ideas and network. And they have these huge conferences that are free. And I don't think in the U.S. I ever attended a free conference. We actually are now, I'm involved with uh, Levi Shapiro and M-Health Israel, and we, I'm helping to be the chairwoman, volunteering to be the chairwoman for the women's portion of that. And we're doing an upcoming conference finally, kind of a post COVID conference where we can get together. The last one we had was in February. Israel did, a, I think, a very good job of responding to the health crisis. You know, lessons learned and not everything was perfect. But overall, it was really good. I was only allowed to go 100 meters from my home for a long time. And then it was expanded to 500 meters. We're still wearing masks and having temperature checks and doing small events. But we have an event upcoming where we have almost 300 women that have RSVP'd to this breakfast. And we can, for government regulations, only have 50. Uh, so we're trying to be innovative to think, oh my goodness, how can we you know, scale down this because we don't want to turn people away at the door. So our plan is to do webinars and do a lot of upcoming future events. But for this breakfast, we're having a woman in digital health uh, speak at the breakfast, but we're facing our own digital problems because we have too many people coming. So I've let everybody know that we're going to be sending out a new invitation. And historically, when you do free events, people don't show. So it's for the first time we're asking people to pay a very nominal small fee to kind of ensure that they're going to attend the event. Because I had no idea how much Israel shares. We heard the governor of Rhode Island speak about the innovative things that they're doing in Rhode Island. And she came to Israel to meet with health technology groups to see, you know, hey, what can we do for uh, people in Rhode Island and the residents of Rhode Island and what kind of things can we bring and can we have these businesses open up there and what kind of incentives can we give them, you know, to come and help the people in Rhode Island. And that's the biggest thing I wasn't expecting here. What about in the healthcare sense and health innovation sense? Do you still mostly consult uh, U.S. companies or also Israeli ones? I remember when I was uh, in Israel the first time I was struck by how very creative people are there and that uh, innovation there is really light years away from what you see in Europe, unfortunately. There's a wonderful center here. There's the Shimon Perez Center for Innovation that has, um, it's almost like a museum. They've got, for when you come back, I'll take you um, uh, once we can travel again. But they've showcased all of these Israeli companies and what was founded and started here. And a lot of things people don't realize. People know Waze, that's the uh, map application that was acquired by Google, but people don't know like the cherry tomato. <laughs> so in this digital kind of museum, they go through all of these different companies that were founded here. So you're right. And I'm not sure if it's because I'd love to learn more about the why, but innovation and the problem solving is very prevalent here. Uh, and people really have that approach and outlook 
Um, and I do consult with um, American companies and Israeli companies both. I also help Israeli companies that are looking to penetrate the U.S. market. It's an incredibly complex market. And so understanding uh, who should I talk to about my product and who can I network with and connect with. And I like facilitating those introductions. I like helping people. I like giving people really honest, you know, kind, I hope, feedback. But it's always interesting when you talk to somebody that just has, you know, something that is not going to help or something that the market is so saturated with similar solutions. um, And what they're trying to do is just not innovative. And I want to give people that feedback. I don't want to discourage them. But I also want to be realistic uh, and let them know that, you know, the either the problem they're trying to solve is not a true problem, or they're going about it maybe in a way that is not the approach that needs to be taken. So that's the kind of, you know, input and advice and really that, you know, almost clinical expert or clinical resource. No one can be an expert, but uh, a resource to help people kind of navigate both the product and the market they're trying to bring it to. Did you ever came across anyone that would try to contradict you, you know, when you advise them that maybe something is not possible and they were like you in your early days where when you said just you know, I don't agree with that. It can be done or something. Maybe not the best example, but I hope you understand what I mean. Absolutely. And I've done that myself. I don't like hearing no. I don't think most people like hearing no. So instead of, you know, kind of coming at the problem straight on, how can you come at it from a different angle? Or, you know, what is it? I don't ever want to squash somebody's dreams. But I also want to let them know by, hey, just doing a quick Google search, you can see about, you know, 15 other companies that have tried to do this and um, others that have failed. And I had a startup for a while. And it was because a wonderful colleague of mine was similarly trying to solve a problem. Nurses get really creative because we're forced all day long to kind of do these makeshift solutions and come up with ways of, you know, tying things together or, you know, building something that doesn't exist or using something in a different way uh, to do better patient care. And what she noticed was Wendy worked in the ER and families would come in with new babies and children and they've taken all of the childbirth classes and prenatal classes and breastfeeding and done all of this, but they hadn't taken CPR. So they really didn't know what to do in case of emergency. So she very wisely said, you should take a CPR class because you're you're in the ER because your child was choking or you were afraid of, uh, you know, what had happened with this issue. And so she started teaching families CPR. She didn't have the resources to have, you know, retail space. So she went into their living rooms. And she incorporated as a registered nursing corporation. She won an award for a term that I'm not so sure I'm still really a fan of. I have mixed feelings about it. It was a mompreneur. Instead of being an entrepreneur, she's a mom. Uh And so she's a mompreneur, which in some ways I think should give you more credibility. But I think it also has been somewhat of seems like the JV team or a second rate type entrepreneur. So I don't know, mixed feelings on that one. But anyway, she won an award for uh, really all of the hard work and innovative work she had done. I read about it on LinkedIn, which I love and took her out to lunch. And so we went to lunch to celebrate what she had done. I wanted to learn more about it. And I was telling her, gosh, you know, you're teaching CPR. Think of all the other things that you could do. You could do lactation and you could do massage and acupuncture and night care and, you know, doulas and just getting really excited about all the different things you could do at home. And she says, yeah, we could do all that. And kept saying we and kept saying we. And so long story short, I uh, left the lunch with a business partner. And so she had done a lot of the work in uh, incorporating the company and getting things up and started. Uh, and I just came along to kind of help add more people. Uh, she called it newborn solutions. And the RN in newborn was the registered nursing. And she actually incorporated it with California 
and the California Nursing Board and had done all of this legwork for it. And it was wonderful. I mean, it was a very early way of getting uh, new families the care and the education that they needed in a place that was really accessible for them because it was in their homes or it was online. It's quite an, uh, I'm sure for many, um, very soothing maybe solution. We actually have that kind of an approach just covered by health insurance on the national level. So you automatically get that like a nurse would come to your home the first month when the baby's born you have an option to go visit a uh, parenting school a month before the baby's born so you get all the education about the basic care that you need to give to to the baby so yeah but you know different in- environments have uh, different rules well that's um, a that's a lot of what there... we were trying to incorporate into it because hospitals offer classes but this is a way of you know doing it with a group of friends that you know making it fun and having a parenting class that's you know not on a a, a weeknight or a weekend or you know it's a time that you want it and when you want to do it we ended up having 85 experts that were really mm-hmm. vetted trusted experts that we knew physicians would refer to us OBGYNs and pediatricians would refer these patients to us because they knew and trusted us that we had had that relationship with these people. And there were a lot of services that I didn't even know existed. We found a wonderful woman who did potty training. Best name of a company I've ever heard. She called it Oh Crap Potty Training and um, intimacy coaches and, um, You know, just, yeah, a lot of resources that you wouldn't necessarily know as a parent that you may need that. Um, But as you're looking for a lactation consultant, uh, you can see all the other services that we offer and, uh, you know, take advantage of those as well. But I love what a lot of other countries are doing because there's such resources and even maternity and paternity leave that we just don't have those. We don't have those offerings now in the U.S. Is there anything else that you would like to add uh, in terms of, you know, nurses, technology and innovation? You know, I think the biggest thing, Tasha, I can think of is please ask. Don't just build something or create something for healthcare and not talk to a nurse. Ask somebody. Ask somebody on the healthcare team. There's so many different types of people. Though, you know, the worst case scenario, someone can say no. Ask somebody else. Uh, Be realistic and realize that if you're going to create something for others, you need to ask the others if it's a helpful. Uh, if it's a helpful solution and work together to improve things. And that's what I've kind of dedicated my career to hopefully trying to do. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health. If you like the show, do leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast. This is the fuel for the show and helps others interested in digital health find the show as well. To browse through past episodes and find more about the podcast, go to www.facesofdigitalhealth.com. And of course, stay tuned.